This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Good, I'm glad you paid for it. At least my money's going to a good cause. The uh, Nat Geo, even though we don't necessarily agree on hunting, is still an insanely entertaining publication. Oh, by the way, talking about crazy publications, uh, did you see CNN today with the wildlife pictures of like best wildlife pictures of the year or something like that? They've got some sort of competition. No. Big old female lioness with a bloody mouth, uh, three cheetahs swimming swollen rivers, um, a, I don't know if it was a python or some sort of, um, it had some sort of snake had a spotted gecko that it was eating incredible photographs of predators and prey. I love what the digital photography thing. I mean, I know like old style photographers think you're cheating, but I mean, we get to see a lot more cool pictures than we used to. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I mean, and not only in how many you can take, cause you can just take unlimited all of my best pictures were in a sequence of me pushing the button 50 times and one of them came out. That's how good of a photographer I am. But well, I apologize the, if I cough <coughs> when I laugh. Sorry. 
Is that trying to prove that you actually were sick the last couple of days? You're doing this fake little cough thing? Yeah. Sick is an understatement for what I was. Didn't have the vid, did not have the Rona, but jeepers creepers. The savages gave me their crud and it hit me. Like you, a, gotta love, like you gotta love kids hauling stuff home from school. Oh my gosh, Michael Sabbath! Did you in in your in in your multitude of careers that you've had is photography one of them, or that is not on your list of careers? It is not. It has not been, but it is going to be a new career. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't yeah. doubt it. You are a man of many, many, many talents. So why not just add photography to to that resume? Easier said than done, but not uh, really. Cody just Cody said that all you have to do is press a, your your finger down on a button fifty, sixty times, and you get a, a pretty decent photo. Yeah, the odds are so, Yeah, okay. I'm 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 open for instruction and guidance. Cody charges by the hour, so just FYI. I'm used to that. I'm sure you are, Michael Sabbath. Welcome to the roundup, my friend. How are the you? Honorable, the Honorable Hunter. Thank you. That's the name of the new book. So why the Honorable Hunter, Michael? Like, what, what is it? Why that title? Well, the, your, your question is a good one, and uh, it has the appearance of being a, uh, a, a question easy to answer, but actually it took, it took quite a while for me to uh, select that title. Um, it was original. The the my first project was intended to be a a book for the young hunters, and so I was thinking of something about uh, something like uh, a how to teach in a classroom or uh, hunting ethics and so forth. And I tried out on informal focus groups different titles. And uh, one day I was having lunch with uh, Steve Hall, who's now the the director of Hunter Education for the Texas Parks and Wildlife, and he's become a dear friend. And he was visiting family in Denver. And we were eating a, a whole bunch of uh, Italian food and somewhere between a bite of bread and a bite of spaghetti, we came up with uh, the Honorable Hunter because we wanted to uh, emphasize honor and, and therefore character, virtue, uh, and doing it for a hunter, uh, particularly young hunters. And so uh, it was uh, selected because it's aspirational. It's what we hope all hunters uh, aspire towards, uh, honor, character, virtue, and so forth. And it, it resonated. Um, I discussed it with many, many friends, colleagues, hunters, and um, the title was appealing, was alluring. So that is the uh, explanation. Well, we are big fans of the Honorable Hunter. We're big fans of you, Michael Sabbath. Thank you. It's and, an honor. Uh, I will say this, Cody, that uh, I, I, I can almost predict, and I may lay some money on the table, that any question that I pose to Michael or any question you pose to Michael today is going to be acknowledged as a good question. <laughs> yeah, he's very, uh, Oh dear. Very. Uh, so I, Michael and I spent a couple of days together last week, um, intended to be somewhat of a business meeting. And that 
kind of happened. It was a lot more of a uh, just a great bourbon drinking uh, meeting. No, we did a lot of in depth discussing and cussing and and but yeah, we drank some bourbon and we ate some good food and we fly fished or we we took fly fishing gear to a river. I don't know that. I think you actually have to hook a fish to call it fishing, maybe. But uh, here's well, the here's I, the. I, I can say that at least regarding my efforts, the fish were completely undisturbed. They, right. they were never bothered. They looked at each other and said, we have nothing to worry about. I was so the same was way fun. with me. I got a couple of, I got a couple of bites and I kind of, I'm going to admit to you that I, I, I made my attempt to take you to the place that I absolutely knew that there was good and big fish. And yeah. that was that was the case. Um, I just wasn't uh, able to figure out what they wanted to eat, obviously. And it was even more distressing because they were eating regularly in front of us. But here's it's the one. Anguishing. Here's the thing that sticks out to me the most about Michael real quick before we get on to the topics is very early, very early on in the conversation, he said something. I asked him a question. It doesn't even I don't even know what the context was, but he said something to the effect of of what do I know? I've only been hunting two or three times or I'm not something along those lines, like very right. much uh, de- like saying he wasn't qualified to speak on the topic. And then what I noticed for like the next several hours that we were together was I think he probably mentioned 15 places, exotic places around the world that he's gone hunting. So I think maybe the uh, whole downplaying of his hunting credentials might have been a little uh, an exaggerated attempt to be humble. Um, I, I, I recall a phrase from a great English writer. I said, I'm a humble man with much to be humble about. And uh, I've done very little hunting. I've gone to a few beautiful places. But uh, I, I, I mean, I guess I compare myself to someone like Chris Dorsey or my friends at the Dallas Safari Club and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And that may be an unrealistic uh, uh, comparison. Uh, however, through a lot of studying and interviewing and observing, I, I think I'm competent and, and qualified to speak about hunting. So we'll see. I would, I would agree a hundred percent. And I was just noting the uh, intentional downplay of it that later on I thought, huh, he's mentioned Croatia, Namibia, South Africa, wing shooting all over. Maybe he's been hunting a couple more than two or three times. That's all I was saying. It could be, it could be, could I be. will be more judicious in the future. <laughs> Mike, wing shooting is your passion? I do it more. I do it more. Um, it, it's it's easier to do from, from Colorado or in Colorado. And I I like shooting shotguns. I I like studying shotguns. I like writing about shotguns. I, I like the I love the aesthetics of shotguns. Uh, I've had the good fortune of traveling uh, to to several European countries and also in the United States to meet uh, the most prestigious gun makers 
in the world. And I, I focus on the shotguns. So the wing shooting is uh, right now, it's, it's uh, my preference. I can do it more. Um, and I suppose it's easier to cook a, a pheasant or a uh, quail than it is uh, for me, uh, the backstrap of of a kudu, or something like that. So, yeah, I like I like the wing shooting. Michael, would you consider yourself? Again, I think this is going to be the the topic of the the the, the roundup in the podcast. You know, downplaying the amount of expertise that you have in a certain subject area, shotguns being one of them. Do you believe, do you think that there's anyone out there, and I could probably guess what the answer is based on who you are. Is there somebody out there that knows more about shotguns than you do? I, I would say that almost anyone that handles a shotgun knows more about them than I do. I, there was a time when I studied the actions and I could tell that I, I could speak um I could speak with proficiency about the difference of a Holland. Come on, Mike. Come uh, on, Mike. A Holland and Holland seven-pin action as opposed to a five-pin action as opposed to the Rigby underbite action. But I, I really haven't. I really haven't kept up on it. Uh, I know with a great deal of confidence which end of the gun the, the shot goes out, and and that's comforting. Um, and uh, I know a little, I know the different actions, you know, um, but, but to say that I'm, uh, I have an expertise to me, an expertise is understanding the different steel that was used in making a Damascus barrel, which by the way, I had the good fortune of traveling. I was a guest of Beretta and they took me, this is a great story. Uh, this is what I'm talking about, Michael. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. We, anyone like, that's ever well, I don't. I don't know anyone that's ever handled a shotgun knows more than me. I know a little bit about the seven pin five. But I don't even know what any of that stuff is. Yeah, and there's this, you know, the steel. Whether it's Damascus. Oh, I've got a little bit of a story about the Damascus barrel. You want to hear the story, or you want absolutely? You want to just interrupt and and, and accuse <laughs> accuse me of of being of, of of accuse me of being falsely humble. Um, this is a, this is a great story. Uh, I was a, a guest of Beretta. I was writing a big article on their, what was then their brand new SO10 shotgun, their top of the line over under shotguns. And those people knew that I loved the history of guns and, uh, they had showed me, uh, two, two guns that were made for one of the sons of Ugo Gusali Beretta and Monique Beretta. Uh, his name is Pietro. And these were the classic, uh, the Diana and the Monte Carlo shotguns, which were made by Franchi. And they were the top of the line and world-renowned shotguns. I think it was the Diana is um, a hammer gun and the uh, the the Monte Carlo is a... Um, hammerless gun, internal hammers, and it was more of a target gun, very successful in Olympic shooting or competitions in the uh, mid-50s and so on. Anyway, 
the two shotguns that were made for Pietro Beretta had what they what you call um, Damascus steel furniture. That is to say, the side locks, the trigger plate, the top lever, other parts of the gun were made with Damascus steel. Not the barrels. The barrels were fluid steel. And and the Beretta folks, my dear, dear friend, what a lovely man he is, Yarno Antonelli, took me in on a drive to the, it's called the forging, forging house of Ome, O-M-E. And it's near the wine region of Franciacorta, which makes very good wine, by the way. And um, we went to the forging house. And if you can imagine in your mind's eye, this little tiny wooden structure was 600 years old. And it was virtually unchanged. It used a paddle wheel to activate the hammer that smashed and flattened and shaped the hot Damascus steel. And they made the steel. And I met the man who actually, it's almost like creating a recipe, like making rye bread or uh, sourdough bread or something. The recipe, if you could see me, my hands are moving around. The the recipe for, for the Damascus steel and his name, is Roberto Chiarini. I just remember this stuff. I don't know why. And uh, I was there. There's not even any electricity in the in the main part of the building. They were making the original barrels for Beretta in the 1500s. They were making the uh, the samurai swords for Japan in the 1500s. It is extraordinary. And I bought a knife there, uh, Damascus, of course, a Damascus, a Damascus knife. And it's engraved with Roberto Chiarini's name on one side of the blade. And on the other side of the blade is the imprint of the Ome forging house. It's called the Hammer of Avaroldi. Anyway, it's, it's a marvelous story. I mean, to be there where the original Beretta barrels were made in the 1500s. It's it's just extraordinary. A nice little story. Again, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to make money, and I'm going to win whiskey. Okay. That not many people could know the first name of Beretta being Pietro, do not know the 600-year-old house where the the barrels were forged, nor the, the, the name of the gentleman that works in that house. Yeah, yeah. Cody, I'm going to win a lot of whiskey. Yeah, no, no, you, know, you, you don't have to win it. Just come out and visit, and I'll, uh, I'll share it with you. In fact, you can go to Cody's house. I left a very nice bottle there. I, I, thought, uh, I thought it was... I thought it was safer to leave the bottle in his house than to drive up and down that uh, the, the suicidal um, path from the highway to his home. I said, Cody, take it. Take everything. Take my toothbrush, anything. I'm not going back. It's too dangerous, especially at night. And his, yeah. his lovely wife says, now, don't hit the deer. 
that's all I needed to hear. That's right. That's right. I think we just lost Cody. He uh, froze up on us. He'll be back. He'll be back. Yeah, right. Um, so unlike last week, last week we actually got into such a conversation on the roundup that we didn't get to any articles that we had right. uh, on Tamna. So this week we are going to try and get to some articles. And given that you are the guest of the roundup, we typically allow the guest to choose the first topic. Uh, but before we get into that, we obviously do a little bit of housekeeping that people know that uh, obviously we are in September now. We have a brand new supporters program list of things that you can win. We actually just created the list today. And the the things that we have giveaways for the first time, we have a Stone Glacier Grumman Goose Down jacket that someone can win. Uh, Teton Leather Company has come up with a custom leather wallet that you can wear dead on display, a Euro Mount hanger. Ren and Ivy is a premier leather uh, leather company here in Mississippi that specializes in bird hunting leather goods. Have you heard of Ren and Ivy, Mike? I have not. I have not. They are a, their whole, items are tied to like legacy leaving a legacy leaving a tradition and so they build all leather goods rifle slings uh, it's not rifle slings shotgun slings uh bird bags um all sorts of things and so they've got a little dove package for us oh that's wonderful Uh, i I love i love the leather uh furniture i love the leather the leather goods yeah, uh, I I think that they are elegant. I I've been very fortunate, for example, to to work with some other leather producers, some very high end. There's a wonderful man up in Wyoming. I think he's semi-retired, if not completely. I can give his name. He's not going to compete with any of your advertisers. Uh, Jim Ware, W E A R, just a marvelous man, a creative man, and highly skilled. Studied in Europe. And so on. So I'm a big fan of of the leather goods. I think they're elegant. I think they're beautiful. So you are doing your viewers, your your members, a great service by offering that. Yeah, Ren and Ivy, phenomenal company, leather company, and obviously Teton Leather Company is a phenomenal company. The they actually made us a rifle sling back in July, Michael. Yeah, uh, that had is a, an elephant rifle sling backed with kangaroo leather. And I actually don't have one anymore because I gave it to Cody and I gave one to Daryl. So well, that's silly. Yeah, but hey, I don't think it's silly. It looked really, really good on my Weatherby rifle. I can tell you right now. <laughs> Welcome back, Cody. Yeah, sorry, my computer froze. Yeah, nice. yeah. Well, uh, what else? We have some. Um, we have some custom woodwork, like Signature Woodcraft, a custom wood cutting board, a knife holder, a dog and gun coffee pack. We have a scope by Zero Tech Industries out of Australia. We have a, a rifle rest uh, that goes on your quad bike by Eagle Eye. We have an ambush hunting apparel swag pack, a gift card by Lady Hunter UK. And then we have another bipod company that just came out of New Zealand called Blacklands that's giving away a $300 US dollar gift card for their bipods down in New Zealand. So we have a brand new set of September giveaways. Uh, we just drew all of the August winners, so keep your eye out for that. Smile.amazon.com. Please select Blood Origins as your nonprofit of choice. Really appreciate that, and it's something that 
Well, Doesn't I'll, affect I'll certainly do that immediately. As soon as Thank we you, Michael. It. Oh, absolutely. Thank it's a, it's an honor. It's an easy way for Amazon to send us money. They're not yes. using your money. They're using Amazon's money. Better yet. And tell all your friends, Michael. Let Origins. I will, Amazon. I will do so. I I'm very loyal to people who who believe in what I'm doing. Well, we are we are big fans and big believers. Good. Good. Uh, what else? Conservation Club, any conservation club brands or organizations out there that want to get behind Blood Origins because you just want to put your money where your mouth is, get in contact with us. We have different levels. Uh, we don't have any shotgun gauges on our tiers, unfortunately, Michael. We just have rifle calibers from the 2.2 all the way to the 600 Nitro Express. Uh, but $50 to $1,000 a month, we'd love to have you guys participate with us and really just help us generate, find, fund, implement, and execute conservation projects around the world. I will help. I will help and make introductions as I can. I promise you. Thank you, sir. Cody, anything else to kick us off before we go into articles for the first time in two weeks? Yeah, I don't think so. Let's do it. All right, Mike. Well, uh, Where do you want to start? Well, that's, that's a tough one because uh, you and or Cody sent me uh, five, you sent me links to five articles and I pulled them up. I and we gave you about two days notice, right? Two uh, days warning. It was, it, it wasn't quite that much. <laughs> if you think that my, if I'm being hyperbolic about my hunting experience, you are hyperbolic to the 10th power. Um, <laughs> uh, no, we gave you about four hours warning. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so um, I, I read them all, and they're excellent articles. Um, the one that had the most emotional impact for me was the, the one about the black or, or the rhinoceros and, and uh, this guy who, uh, who became a poacher who was in a very yeah. – yeah, but – but I would like to start with the article titled The Dark Ages of Wildlife Management Descends mm. on the West. I found that to be a highly informative and a highly intelligent uh, dialogue with, uh, with two, two folks, a, a, a man, Wilkinson, and a man named Sadler. Uh, I can find their you know, their first names. And, and I made uh, detailed notes, which... Well, firstly, it came out of Conservation Frontlines, and we're big right. fans of Conservation Frontlines. They put together some phenomenal uh, information. If you don't subscribe to their emails, we would uh, highly suggest you subscribe to their emails because they have articles from all around the world that they push out. And, uh, yeah, Todd Wilkinson and Tom Sadler were the two... Uh, articles. It's a pretty in-depth article. It, they, you know, they give you these read times types of these articles. This is about a twenty-minute read. It says seventeen minutes. Um, well, it, yeah, yeah, it's a it's an in-depth article for sure. Well, it's been I, a two I, and a half week read for me. Yeah, because I, I, me, I, I also because I'm critiquing it. I'm putting in my notes, and I'm always whenever I read a book, there's there's almost as much. Of uh, uh, my words in the margins, as in the uh, the author's words in the book, it's very 
distressing for me to read anything. It takes forever. But, um, yeah, I, I read it very closely. I think I read it closely. And um, and he talked about the uh, you know, state legislators uh, setting back wildlife conservation for grizzlies and so forth. And, and a very intelligent discussion and a dispassionate discussion. But right away in the first, uh, the second sentence, I already had a problem with him, uh, where he used the phrase, he says, in our polemical society. And polemical, as you might know, it's, it has to do with controversy and being critical and disputing and so forth. And uh, But I'm wondering, and, and you folks may have a greater insight than I, whether our society, in terms of hunting, is any more polemical than it ever was, than it ever mm. was. Um, and, and, and the point is, or a point is, and frankly, you don't have to answer the question. It, it's more or less. It's the same. It's almost the same. Um, the challenge is, whether or not it's more or less polemical now, the challenge is how do we as hunters and people who advocate for hunting, how do we learn to work effectively and persuasively in a polemical society? That's the key. That's the challenge there. That's what I tried to do in my book, The Honorable Hunter, to say, look, here's how you craft the arguments. Um, and, and he goes on, he, he says, social media uh, it has become an uncivil exchange of name calling. Mm -hmm. Th that is certainly accurate. But once again, once again, how do we, how does Blood Origins advance the skill? How does Blood Origins advance the technique for dealing with a, an uncivil, name-calling, dis, uh, disputational environment? I mean, that would be, a, I mean, as you, I know you're trying to do it. And that is a great, great service. You should be proud of yourself. A great service to the hunting industry. There's no point in just pointing out how miserable the world is. Mm -hmm. um, and it is miserable. And this hunting is the least of it. But, uh, but you know, how does Blood Origins, you know, how do you help us uh, deal with this kind of toxic, as, as Chris Dorsey said, this kind of toxic environment um so i i mean i i'd go down a list here of 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 my comments i'll make one more and then you you know maybe any of this would evoke reactions from you evoke re words from you um but the guys make an assertion that i found with love and affection, I tell you, because I like this article and I think I would like the people. But their description, he said, valid positions of animal rights and holding reverence for non-human animals as sentient beings. And and the trouble for me, because I'm a, 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 a tyrant when it comes to words, it comes to rhetoric, um, the, the, the problem for me was I think that the two authors use this animal rights position by, by granting them a, a legitimacy that, that is unearned. 
and, and to say that they have respect of animals as sentient beings and so on, I think it's a, a simplistic and and it's a very selective assessment of what these animal rights people are doing, and it puts them in a in a favorable light that is by and large undeserved. Uh, it, it gives them a, a legitimacy of idealism, and uh, I'll share with you my thought that idealism, being idealistic, is is not a virtue. Mm-hmm. Being idealistic is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it may be quibbling. I, I you know. Uh, no, I hear you. I hear you. And I think to your first question, what is Blood Origins doing about it? I think there's no greater there's no greater action than by doing or you know walking the walking the walk essentially, right? And, yes, yes. You know, do as I say. You know, what's the what's the famous phrase? Do as I say. Don't do as, as I. I do. Yeah, but I think it's the opposite here. In that, you know, we are the ones doing the actions. In that, we want people to look at us and see the way that we act, see the way that we respond, see the way that we communicate, see, as yeah. Michael talks about the rhetoric that we are espousing to, the the way that we communicate, the way that we interact, the way that we interact when we get called out, the way that we interact when people call us MF this or MF that. And it's almost, I wouldn't call it peer pressure because that's not certainly not what we're doing, but it's leading by example, simply put, right? Yeah, and, and please don't misunderstand my words. I want to be absolutely lucid and, and clear. I wasn't challenging blood origins about what, what they're doing to advance that cause. I was congratulating you and saying I'm glad to be part of it. No, we appreciate that. Yeah. Cody, what do you think? Here's what I think. I'm not sure either one of you are ready for this. I think I was about 11 or 12 in a, a Sunday school or a church youth group when I first like put thought into the serenity prayer. Right? Okay. And since that point, I've been convinced outright, and I promise you if anyone questions this, I can bring in many, many people from my past to tell you that I've been saying this for a long time. Right or wrong, doesn't matter. This isn't something I created tonight. I think that the serenity prayer, whether you apply it to irregardless of religion, right? There's no such word as irregardless, by the way. Yes, you're right. It's regardless. Regardless of religion. Don't let that happen again, Cody. Yeah, I know. I know. Between you two. I'm loving this bloody podcast, man. I'm loving it. This won't be the last time that I get corrected on my grammar between you two tonight. Regardless of religion. I believe that the serenity prayer is actually like the secret to happiness, that ancient question that if you can understand the serenity prayer and then truly grasp the third section of the serenity prayer, um, that I think it is the, the secret to happiness, right? Okay. Um, and for, for those that don't know, there's multiple variations, but it's basically grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And I fully believe 
but the having the wisdom to know the difference is actually the hard part. Um, that there's yes, something. Absolutely. There's, there's no there's, question. Yeah, and but I think if you attack your day with that, I think if Blood Origins attacks its day, and again, I don't need somebody talking to me about any type of theological discussion. I don't care if you. I, when I said the prayer just now, I didn't put the word God in front of it. It doesn't matter. But attacking your day that way and Blood Origins attacking its day that way of realizing there's some things you just can't change. But the things that we can, we have an obligation, whether it's to ourselves or me to Robbie or Robbie to the world or Robbie to his children or whatever. We have an obligation to change the things that we can. Um, and I don't think that changing the things that you can is the hard part. I truly think realizing what you can't change. And that's how, that's really why I like Blood Origins so much. Because I think what we can change is the perception of the non-hunter community. The negative perception, not, not all of them have it, but some of them have a very negative perception through pop culture and propaganda by certain people. Um, the hard part when it comes to this article is the hard part to, to slide into my serenity prayer rails for guidance in life um, is when you get down to the very specific actions of certain people, right? Like, did the Idaho legislature go too far? I completely agree right. with you, Michael that that calling animals sentient beings you didn't pronounce it as sentient and it makes me feel like i'm pronouncing it wrong all my life but well call, you're young yet right, right. I, I think that i think that there it's weird to me that they front loaded this article with that right it, that's it, a good point that is a very good point they front loaded it Right. That is a very excellent point. And it almost and, and, seemed like a way to make friends, right? Like we're going to make friends before we get into this article. That's, um, that is a very excellent point, Cody. And I, I, I don't I, – I can't give you an answer on here's – a, here's a true conundrum in my life. I have an Idaho wolf tag for this fall and winter. I'm going to go to Idaho and try to kill a wolf. Yeah. I also think that it's possible. I, I have not delved deep enough into it. I think it's possible that the Idaho legislator legislature went too far in opening up methods and means of takes for wolves this year. Like, well, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I I think I'm done and I'm feeling dead air that I don't know what to say because I want to go to Idaho and take a wolf. At the same time, I agree with some of the folks who think that – I don't know if I agree. I, like, I, I think it's possible that the Idaho legislature may have opened it up too much. So does my dog, as you can hear from the background right there. But – and so I, it, there's a, it's, those are the type of things that I get like 
bound up about. I don't know. I absolutely think wolves need managed. I'm not smart enough to know how many wolves should be taken. And my default is always it should be left to the biologists because I don't know. It should be left to the people who, you know, went to school to figure that crap out. Um, But that's where this article got to me was I'm going, I got a tag. I'm going to Idaho to try and shoot a wolf this fall and winter. Um, But I also think it's possible that Idaho overreacted to the wolves in the means and methods that they're allowing this year. Well, what, what you're presenting has, has aspects of, what I would call a logical fallacy. What And what I mean by that is, in this article and what some of the states are doing, they're taking a, a specific discrete incident, like shooting a wolf, and then extrapolating it and generalizing it. And the generalization is logically flawed. And some of the examples that are given throughout the uh, the article, whether it's the wolves or the um, the coyotes and so on, uh, show activity that may loosely and I think immorally be referred to as hunting that are so pernicious, that are so vile. Um, and so you may go and hunt a wolf but I, I know that you are not going to hunt it by running it down late at night with a, uh, an RV or whatever they're called with a light on it where the animal's frozen still like a deer in the road. Um, so, so to some degree, the authors of this article, and again, I repeat, I really like it. It was worth the seven weeks it took for me to get through it. Um, they're not making enough refined distinctions. I'll give you two, two overarching, overarching perspectives here. And I've used the, the, the both of them in, in my many, many speeches and some of my, my writing. Number one, I quote that guy who was uh, Wayne Parcell, who at one time was the head, director, president of the Humane Society of the United States. And his, the insight that I'll share now explains some of the dilemma that are, is the dilemmas that are presented in the article and the dilemma that you just articulated, Cody, by using the phrase, they may have gone too far, something like that. But, but, but we have to understand the process, and Wayne Purcell put it very bluntly, uh, very succinctly, and regrettably, in my opinion, very immorally. And and that is, that is that he said that he is going to end hunting using democracy. And he gives numbers that they were eight million or so hunters in the United States and 340 million people that aren't. And he will, he and his organization will go state by state, county by county and wipe out hunting because the democratic process will allow that. 
Now, of course, when you go state by state or county by county within a state, you get much more concentrated power by the activists that can influence these legislatures and make them do extreme things. I mean, when one of the articles where they said they 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 prohibit grizzlies from being captured and relocated back to safety. Um, in my way of thinking, this is not only immoral, it has contempt. It shows contempt for human beings as well as the animal. But it all works because of democracy. Now, if, for you historians that may be listening, you know, the, the founding fathers hated democracy. Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville hated democracy. Uh, democracy is poisonous. Um, people are interested, uh, minorities are interested in minority rights until they become the majority, and then they wipe out any other minorities. I mean, it goes on and on. Um, and I think that explains why local, the, the thesis of, of this, of this uh, article, the thesis of this dialogue, why are they undermining what would appear to be, you know, biology and science and scrupulous study and analysis and so on? And the answer is democracy. The answer is uh, localized pressure, the concentrated pressure versus diffuse pressure coupled with cowardice, stupidity, ignorance, bribery, and all the other wonderful things inherent in the human animal. Um, but, but to me, that's, that, was, that was part of it. Here's an example, uh, I, I think a very lucid example of what I'm talking about. And I wrote about this. I interviewed people I, uh, up in uh, British Columbia when the the uh, the relevant game uh, department wildlife or whatever banned uh, grizzly bear hunting. Mm -hmm. Maybe in British Columbia. Yeah, in British Columbia, exactly right. But what was fascinating to me and enraging to me was the intentional lack of precision of their language. They didn't Whose language? The hunter's uh, language or the other side's language? The other side, the, the, the legislators and the bureaucrats that created the regulations. And they said, for example, I'm quoting from memory, but it's close enough, I'm confident. They said, for example, uh, the, the, the public reaction, the public view of trophy hunting has changed. Well, it, we, we, we lawyers... You, we would call that phrase, a Latin phrase, ipse dixit, which means you're saying it's true for no reason other than you said it's true. Mm. But, but how, how do you know? There was no data. There were no, there were no polls. There was no analysis of what anybody thinks. So you have perhaps the most agitated, activist, biased, and arguably ignorant human beings in British Columbia, flooding the uh, the poll taking, flooding the legislature, flooding the bureaucrats, and leading to a a, a, a a resolution 
that is not only anti-science against the biology, but overtly will lead to the death of human beings. And it doesn't bother them. But it's the rhetoric. It's the absolute voluptuous ruining of of words uh, that, among other things, I find so so loathsome, so contemptible, and and they did it without without a hesitation. Mm-hmm. But they were politically smart, and they exempted the native merit, uh, the indigenous, uh, the Indian nations, or the native nations. Um, because they knew they had no power over them. They knew they couldn't push them around. White hunters, they could push around, but they can't do it. They wouldn't do it to the indigenous populations. So they exempted them out, and there, there are limitations to the exemption, but who's going to enforce it? You can, you can craft any legislation you want, but who's going to enforce it? No mm-hmm. one's going to enforce it. So... And then, then, for example, and Wilkinson is talking. He's Wisconsin. He's talking about the wolves, Cody. This is an area where I, I find it, I, I find it um, cheap, cheap sentiment. He, he wrote. Wilkinson wrote in Wisconsin, two hundred and sixteen wolves were killed by hunters and trappers in less than sixty hours. 82% above the state quota. Now, that is intended to be inflammatory. That is intended to be language to rile and provoke. I mean, look, 82% above the state's quota. But, but my reaction is, so what? You don't tell us why the quota was originally set. You don't tell us how much the population of wolves may have increased. You don't tell us what percent 216 is of all the wolves are there. It's it's empty. You know what it reminds me of is like cotton candy. It looks so delicious on the outside. You bite in and there's nothing there. It's all gone, except it goes into your cavities and your teeth, and then they rot out. But other than that, that's what it's like. I mean, they're so. I resent. I resent the sloppiness of the words. Am I? Am yep. I? Am I being uh, too fastidious? No, 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 no. You are being Michael Sabbath, and we love Michael Sabbath the uh, way that you are because <laughs> I like want my people wife. who are. I, lo- I want people in the roundup that are listening to this to you know Instagram message, you know Michael Sabbath. What would we call it? Michael Sabbathisms, right? <laughs> I don't think that I've ever heard, and nor will it ever happen again until Michael Sabbath is back. The word <laughs> voluptuous on a Blood Origins podcast. <laughs> well, I, I love the point that he touches on there, though. That, and we talked about this a little bit last week with Alex from Outdoor Life, who who gave me gave me a lot of faith in the world as someone who I at least believe is quite a bit younger than me. Um, I love, let me switch it around. I hate articles where the title is just intentionally inflammatory. So I click on it on the internet. Right. Oh, sure. That's 
that's the technique. It's it's that's it's, how it's, I feel it's, about that's how I feel about about Wilkinson stating the eighty two percent above the state's quota. It was just like here's a point right here where I can raise some people's blood pressure. Um, not really backed by something that actually means anything to any of them. Um, and, you know, or, or should mean anything to any of them. Um, I think that, uh, there's a lot of people who are, but here's the thing, here's the thing. And this is where I think, this is where I'm excited to have have forged the beginnings of a friendship with Michael Sabbath is. Oh, that's very lovely. Thank you. I don't, uh, I don't know. I'm 46. I should know by now. You look, you look no more than 43. Right. That's what, that's my goal is to maintain three years difference. <laughs> I, I don't know how to deal with things. Here's a here's a question for Michael Sab. Is how do I deal with things that piss me off, but I might partially agree with? It's very simple. You acknowledge it pisses you off, but to some degree, you you find it has legitimacy and truth. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing like an honest approach, Mike. No. You know, I mean, a classic trial lawyer technique. You make, let's say, an opening statement to the jury. You you disclose everything. You disclose the upside of your case. You disclose the downside. Here's <laughs> what you're not going to like about my case. And you lay it out there. And you do it with, with honesty. You do it with integrity. And you do it with persuasiveness. And that gives the lawyer credibility. Cody, there's nothing wrong with saying overarching, I find this contemptible. I dislike it. I don't believe in it. I find it dishonest, deceitful, undermining, fill in the blank adverb or whatever. But I must concede that there are one or two good points. There's nothing right, wrong me, with that. This. Let me do this, Mike. Let me give you the exact example. Okay. And then I want your version back. Like, right. I think, I don't think that the fact that 216 wolves were killed in Wisconsin in 60 hours, I think, and maybe Robbie, you can help me. I think Wisconsin's like at 11, 1200 wolves right now, 1100, yep. 1200. Um, yep. I don't believe. That going twenty percent hit, right? I don't believe that that was, and and again, originally, the goal there was one hundred and fifty wolves or ten mating pairs. So we're 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 doing okay. I I don't believe that's a big deal or a reason for Wisconsin to stop using hunting as a way to manage wolves. I do very much – I don't understand why they didn't issue tags. I don't understand – because you can completely legally control the amount harvested if you just issue tags. Like I do think that um, the last statement of Wilkinson's statement is state wildlife officials there admitted they didn't manage the hunt very well. 
And I agree with that statement, but I don't think 216 wolves to be killed were being killed, 82% over the state's quota is a thing that should be used to stop lethal management of wolves in Wisconsin. Like those are the dilemmas in my head. It's it shouldn't be a dilemma. It it really shouldn't be a dilemma, Cody. You're looking at causality and you have one locus of of acts or behaviors there's wolves out there certain number were killed arguably it was too many arguably it made no difference arguably it wasn't even enough now but whatever the resolution or whatever the better argument because there's no there's no solution there's no answer as if you go four plus four equals eight, unless you're taking math in California. There's no specific answer that has a high probability of, of accuracy. But whatever that is, Cody, it has, it has nothing to do with the causality of what the bureaucrats, what the department does with it. Um, it, it was badly done. It could have been done differently, and it should not be uh, uh, the result banning. In other words, A is unrelated to B. A does not flow logically to B. It's not a dilemma. And and I think that uh, for you, Robbie, or any hunter, any analyst, any writer, to articulate uh, what you just said, Cody, adds to your credibility being having a sense of doubt having a sense of being perplexed is not a weakness in this case it's a strength in fact it goes to your 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 serenity prayer what's the difference how do i know what what difference can i make um the 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 only modification i would make of the serenity prayer which is really the core to the whole thing is how do you know that you have the wisdom to determine whether or not you can change anything? Because if you come to the conclusion that you can't, then you're for sure certain you'll never do anything. So that's a problem. But but given what you've just described, Cody, I don't see a dilemma at all. I, I see you asking the right. And I'm not saying this to be fawning to you or to ingratiate myself. I don't mind doing it, but I'm not. Um, you, you've said there's some factual issues here, and you could go make a better argument. It's 216. It should have been 116. It should have been 816, whatever. But whatever it is, it should not have led to a ban, and it should not have led to a... Um, uh, a, a a diminishing of the animals targeted, and it should not have been written in a an inflammatory an inflammatory way. My hands are flailing around here. It should not have been written in an inflammatory way, intended to shut down analysis, intended to shut down thinking, intended to block any rational analysis. 
It was I intended. Like, yeah, I, I, I like that statement that it that, and and I, I I'll stick with intended to shut down analysis, because that's very much the way Wilkinson's statement feels to me. There, like the Wisconsin wolf hunt just shouldn't have happened because of this. It was a bad thing that evil people with Satan on their shoulder did. Right. Uh, remember, our remember our argument here was that the quota itself was about, I can't remember the exact number. I think it was 205 or something like that, the actual quota. Oh, really? 100. No, one. well, here's the caveat. 120 of those or something like that. Again, I'm, I'm getting my numbers mixed up because okay. it was a little while ago. 120 went to the First Nations tribe that said that they were not going to cull any wolves. So from a biological perspective, from a biological perspective, the quota was only exceeded by, I think, 8% or 9% oh, or 10%. Oh, how interesting. Biologically. That's but fascinating. By law, by law, again, but if you go legally, you're the lawyer, Mike, of the group here. Yes. Legally, they were over quota by 82% if the state's quota was only 100, you know, or 140 or something like that. But that does not exculpate, it does not ignore the fundamental questions. So what? What's the Correct. harm? Correct. <laughs> biologically, it was set. It was set. The quota was set biologically. Bio biologically, the, by whom? Who did By the, the state, by the DNR, by the Game and Fish. Well, what, what magical powers do they have that day? Well, they are the, the, the game management authority of the state, Mike. That's, yes, that's what they are. I understand that, but that doesn't impart infallible wisdom. No, they set the quota, though. They are right. the scientists and the biologists on the ground that set the quota. Okay. This is where science and, 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 I, I, science and law don't mesh very well sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. No, I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. I'm saying... I, I would have liked to have seen why the quota was set the way it was and, sure, and, sure. and then some analysis of what was the harm. But nevertheless, we come back to Cody's very good point. Even if it was messed up, even if it was a few too many, does that, does that reality, does that fact pattern, that's what we call it, does that fact pattern justify the bureaucratic response. That is the issue. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not a dilemma. It's a matter of logic mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and clear thinking. But so, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't uh, how do we, either as Cody, Robbie, and Michael as individuals or Blood Origins as an organization, like there's a, beyond the, legal part of it beyond the science part of it there's a cultural part of it because there's oh, absolutely now, at a minimum there's two lawsuits that i know of that will surely come together and become one more powerful lawsuit against the state of wisconsin to end the wolf hunt again because of and, and they're going to grab Wilkinson's statement from this article. I mean, they're not, it's, they're not literally going to quote him because it's all over the internet. 
that hunters slaughtered 82% over the quota of wolves in, and that's to me to, to kind of like round things out is that's to me the, the flood that blood origins is trying to build a levy against that. Well, that's, a, that's noble that, you know, that it's, it, I'm not saying it's coming. I'm saying it's here. The lawsuits have already been filed against the state of Wisconsin to end their wolf hunt. And yes, but- because hunters are horrible people that all of us just run down wolves with our off-road vehicles with the lights on and smash them under the tires. Like that's the lies. There's nothing better than the word lies. That's the lies that that the humane society... No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. To your point earlier, there's things that you agree with and then things that piss you off at the same time. Yes, there are lies, Cody, but there is, there has to be that bad apple out there doing that. But I said the word all. I said the word all, that all hunters are like that. And I'm going going to Idaho to hunt wolves. And if you want me to bet, I'll bet you however much money you want that I won't get a wolf because I'm going to shoot it in a hunting and stalking and spotting. And and everyone fails at that, right? Like it's a very low percentage of success rate. I'm not going to run anything down with my vehicle. I still slam on the brakes for squirrels and birds in the, in the, in the, in the road. But that's the, that's the flood and it's coming, right? Like they got all the headlines. They got all the drama. They got Wilkinson's quote, right? To flood the state of Wisconsin about how horrible wolf hunters are. And they also have, as Robbie was trying to point out there, some very solid and credible evidence that some people that hunt wolves are like that. I hesitate to use the word hunter about them. Right, right. But that's more, I guess, like that whole conundrum in a big ball of jacked up yarn is what goes through my head is, is, uh, and that's why, that's why I literally was drawn to Blood Origins however many years ago when I watched Robbie's first stuff because I just thought somebody needs to see that not all hunters, that, that, that there's some thought and that there's some intelligence and there's some emotion and there's some, there's some, deep deep connection to nature that's involved in why i spent four days last week being completely embarrassed by an animal with the brain the size of a grapefruit and never got even close to an antelope in western nebraska with my bow that i'm I'm out there for a different reason than running something down with my with my side by side and killing it and well, no, I'm, I'm I, done. I, <laughs> no, you're not. Um, I think it is always important to maintain a precision and discipline regarding 
your your not you specifically regarding one's arguments and that that a person doesn't slide from one point to another point to another point and and, and use what we call a straw man argument to argue in favor of something that really is not the issue now the issue here I see at least two. What is the legitimacy of that 82% number? And then number two, to what extent does that 82% number uh, encourage, invite the litigation? I'll start with the second one first. This is just my sense of how lawsuits work and how lawyers work. the the 82% has no bearing whatsoever. Those lawyers get paid, they get paid lavishly to fight anything. All of these lawsuits, the the documents are on word processors. All they have to do is press a button, fill in the blank for the animal, a percent, the state, and it's it's pretty much the same. And, And the lawyers have been extraordinarily successful. We call it lawfare, L-A-W-F-A-R-E, lawfare. They have been extraordinarily successful in manipulating and getting concessions from historically weak and historically anti-hunting organizations such as United States Fish and Wildlife and the Department of Interior and whatever. And and it's led to the the um, rather uh, regrettable but significant uh, consequence where legal settlements have been used in lieu of actual congressional um, statutory authority because these huge bureaucracies can impose and create laws through their settlements and how they affect uh, the, the application of their regulations, which, as you know, you can pile these regulations up. They go almost from, from New Jersey to the moon. So um, th- this is a wholly separate issue. But uh, th- if I understand you, Cody, and, and if I do, I think it's a, a, a very valid point what is the significance of that 82%? It's going to be used against us anyway, but if it were 10%, it would be used. If it were 1%, if it were one wolf, it would be used. So we can't get caught up in, 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 in the number and attribute to the number some magical power that if it weren't 82, the whole world would be different. The lawyers would go home, they would watch Bambi, and nothing would happen other than to drink a bunch of Bud Light. Um, so we shouldn't give power to words, to numbers, to data that is is undeserved. But it is important, I think, uh, to analyze and, and figure out what does the 82% mean. And even if it has some legitimacy, as, as Robbie pointed out, well, the government uh, made a quota 
and whatever the government does, it's it's the law. And it doesn't really matter whether it's smart or prudent or indifferent. I just talked about what the government in British Columbia did. I mean, it's contemptible. There's no virtue to it. There's no morality to it. There's no logic to it. It's pure sentiment and caving in to activists. There's nothing else. There's nothing noble to be said about what was done in British Columbia. But um, but we we can examine that. But I think one thing to do is to say what I think. I, I've said this in a couple of speeches, and it seems to get a rise out of the audience. And that is, you have an issue, and you can ask the most profound, the most uh, biting, the most insightful question the human mind can think of. The greatest question the human mind can think of. And here it is. You ready? So what? <laughs> yeah. So what? I, what do you do? So what? Yeah. They went 82% over. What does it mean? So what? What do you do with it? Do you end the world? Do you take all the wolves and, and move them into uh, the White House, which wouldn't be a bad idea, but uh, and, and say we're going to take care of you? You know, um, uh, what does it mean? And 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 so it's going beneath the, the number. It's going beneath the number. And I agree with Cody. I agree with Robbie. Um, that was an inf- that was presented in an inflammatory way, in my opinion. Because it didn't give a backstory, maybe it is inflammatory. Maybe that there were only two hundred and eighteen wolves in the whole state. You know, um, I, I don't know. Right. But at least right, right. I, I know what I don't know, and I know what I need to know to to make an intelligent uh, assessment. Of, of what the hunters are doing. Now, when you read the, some of the other anecdotes in, in this article, what with the behavior of some of those so-called hunters, to me, they're nothing but bloodthirsty murderers. They are terrible. And I think that every decent hunter will condemn them. I'm confident of that. But as we all know, it just takes one or two especially in this age of social media, yes? It just takes one or two. One guy kills a lion, Cecil, even though it's legal and everything else, and the whole world goes nuts. I mean, the yep. whole, whole world related to hunting. And, and of course, people, humans being, the, 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 being what they are, they were easily manipulated and exploited, and a lot of people made money off of it. I'm sure a lot of very expensive wine, French wine was drunk, at these seminars and conferences. Um, well, uh, this is what I had for two days last week. The most, Michael, this in, incredible conversation. Um, Michael is a uh, insanely unique individual. Someone that uh, student uh, of rhetoric. Let me let me think about that. Insanely unique. But it, it it's uh there probably isn't five people in the world that I would compare to my father in the way of they've earned the right to be listened to even when they're mm-hmm. saying whatever they want to say. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I truly believe that uh, 
Michael has probably experienced in the realm of just travel, adventure, and diversity in his experiences, I would, I, I, my guess is he's in the top two percent of the world, one percent of the world, maybe, and just the things he's experienced in his life. Um, but doesn't have to flaunt that. That eliminates about. 90% of the people that have a lot of experiences in the world and has the intelligence and the humbleness to listen to people that don't have that kind of experience genuinely. And well, uh, it's uh, why I think, uh, you know, I'm excited that he's on the show tonight and excited to have uh, started a friendship with him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. First of all, from the depths of my soul, I don't deserve that praise, but I'll tell you the secret. And, and the reason I share the secret is not to uh, show how ordinary I am. I would love to have a little bit of a mystique, but rather to help your audience, if that's the word, and I don't even mean to be presumptuous by helping as if I'm able to help anybody. I don't know, but uh, I hope so, but I don't know. But I tell you, and this may be some guidance for your audience or anyone in it. Um, I I read uh, almost at a pathological level, neurotically for sure, and I make it a point to read about people, read the writings, the work material, or the YouTube videos of people that are just a lot smarter than I am. And I try to jot down things that I know are smart and uh, and then to see analogies, to see how somebody who's debating somebody about uh, uh, Black Lives Matter or whether uh, uh, a minimum wage, that the same arguments can be applicable to us in the hunting world, the same structure, the same architecture of thinking. And, and it's, I'll tell you, I don't mind telling you it's time consuming. It's wearing it's, it's humbling because there are so many really smart people out there. And I try to pick up uh, a few little pieces, a few little phrases. Uh, if, if you think, if you think well of that, I, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm honored because you folks deal with a lot of terrific people. And I know that. Um, I mean, Chris Dorsey is, is, he's a friend of mine. He's been a friend for 20 years. Um, and he's shared with me his assessment of Robbie, his assessment of, 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 of Cody, assessment of what you've put together. So for me, it's delightful, but, uh, I'm, I, I don't mind you overestimating me, but I, I tell you, you're overestimating me. Well, we appreciate you, Michael. Um, and uh, yeah, we did better than last week. We got through one article this week right? <laughs> instead of zero articles last week. And just to remind everyone, the article that we were discussing is with Conservation Frontlines. It's called A Dark Ages of Wildlife Management Descends on the West by Todd Wilkinson and Tom Sadler. Give it a read. It's a fascinating read. It's a question and answer session between the two authors. Um well, Michael Sabbath, we knew this was going to be a longer podcast than usual because of your astuteness. Uh, uh, thank you for being here. 
um cody thank you for only giving him four hours of prep otherwise we would have been jeez who knows where we would have been if he had had two days to mold this over your previous book you canceled don't bail on me i've i've filled in a hole (laughs) yep yep thank you michael we much appreciate you my friend my pleasure speak to you soon i hope yes sir well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.